This is a Brain Bites episode. We share two quick ideas we learned this week to help you leverage your brain for a better life. And always remember, make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a Brain Tools episode. It's time to level up your brain. Let's get cracking. Welcome to Brain Bites 16. Kieran, what have you learned this week? All right. So I've learned that I get stressed when I forget to do something. <laughs> I am sad. <laughs> no, seriously. I, you what know happens? those moments? Are so, okay. So I forgot to submit something on time, which was important. I'm not going to go into the dirty details because it's going to make me relive my trauma. But And I don't want to turn this into a, a psych episode. But Get on the site box. I got really stressed. And it, it was a big reminder that when I get stressed, the normal thing that I do is say, okay, Kieran, go meditate. But the thing about this, like, I suppose, solution, so to speak, is that doesn't normally work because it's so hard to get myself to sit down, meditate, sometimes get my phone out. And there's a lot of friction in doing this when I need the solution straight away. And I was like, okay, surely there's a better, more streamlined way of doing it to get still similar results. And when I looked at this, there's that phrase and that term called the physiological sigh that, uh, again, rediscovering, but actually implementing, which is, as we've spoken about, a pattern of breathing, which involves two big inhales and one massive massive exhale. And what it does is it offloads all the CO2 in the bloodstream and obviously the acid H plus that builds up and it triggers the impulse to breathe as well. And it was a nice rediscovery because it's a lot easier to do than meditating for 10 minutes in, in the moment. Oh, yeah. Great rediscovery. You know how much I am in love with the physiological side. Can you explain from what you relearned this week, how does it work? And more importantly, how have you been using it now? Yeah. So I think we can just get really practical and do it together right now. Oh, yeah. Let's so, try. Again, let's try. No, no, normal breathing, right? Which is I breathe in either through my mouth or nose and I breathe out. And it's normally boring. a two-fold. So I breathe in, yeah. out, boring, sucks, two-way, not good. What the no. physiological side though is saying is that you want to breathe in, obviously, maybe through, through your mouth to start. You go... Well, nose largely. And then you take a very, very quick, deep breath afterwards. So it's two breaths, then to one big exhale. So you breathe in. Yeah, you see, you're hearing us breathing, team. And then you can exhale really, really deep, deeply all the way to the end. And it's a big offload of CO2 because, again, it's a volume argument. That second inhale increases the volume at which you're taking it in, which means you're going to offload a lot more CO2. Largely using the nose for inhaling. There's so much of that in terms of quality breathing these days. Um, but it is sufficient to bring down the stress. Obviously, you know, mixed with those cortisol levels, alertness coming down and feeling a lot more calm. And even right now, mate, when I'm trying to be energetic to speak to you right now, I'm feeling really relaxed and I'm like zetting out. And uh, yeah, it was just rediscovering the physiological side. So if anyone gets really, really stressed in the moment and you're not sure what to do, just remember, take another deep, like that, that second deep breath for the physiological side, offload that CO2, you'll feel a lot better. Absolutely, we'll feel a lot better. So what you, you really rediscovered this week is the power of breathing in terms of the physiological side when you can't get to your meditation space, when you're actually in the moment and feeling really, really stressed. This is a immediate, instant stress-relieving tool that you can use, which leverages your uh, physiology and your neurobiology to bring down stress in the moment. Uh, and part of that mechanism is the CO2 offload you've mentioned before. Um, part of it is also the uh, signal it sends up the vagal nerve to the cerebellum and parts of the brain uh, and the communication it has from there, um, from the brainstem actually into the amygdala too. Um, and this is something you can do in a couple of seconds when you're feeling really, really stressed. 
this is why I love talking to you about the brain. You just sprinkle it with all this brain goodness um, and it makes it so I'm, much better. I'm somewhat obsessed with the physiological side because it's super interesting. You know, you know also the part about the heart valve too. No, 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 no. You got it. Nah, you tell me. Come, come to Papa. <laughs> so when we breathe out slowly, the long exhale, what actually happens is our diaphragm comes up and you'll feel it when you breathe out. And when mm. that comes up, it compresses the space the heart is in. And as the heart is compressed, the blood flows more quickly through the, uh, the heart. And there's actually this tiny valve in your heart called the sinoatrial valve. And it has a mm. nerve that runs up to your brain. And when the blood flow, flow quicker through the heart because you've compressed it by breathing out slowly, that sends a signal up to the brainstem and then up to the parts of your brain responsible for uh, mitigating stress saying, hey, we're breathing too, uh, we're, we're heartbeats is beating too quickly. There's too much blood in there. We need to calm down. And that actually triggers your parasympathetic nervous response. That lecture done. That's beautiful. Please, re- please actually release this. Oh, wait, we're that doing was- a live episode. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Put it out there. Shout out to Andrew Huberman and Huberman Lab for teaching me all of that. All that so, information. So good. I'm going to flip it back to you, Sammy, my boy, mm-hmm. and ask what came across your desk that uh, piqued your curiosity? So speaking of the gray man, I actually learned that visualizing failure is better for ongoing motivation when you're trying to achieve a goal. Mm, okay. Elaborate on this one. So this, this came across uh, in Huberman, speaking of the great man himself, Huberman's podcast uh, recently where he did an episode on goals. And it turns out if you want to achieve the goals you set, you're better off not focusing on achieving them and that big picture end goal and visualizing success, but instead focusing on the pain of what happens if you don't. Uh, Because if you do so, you actually trigger more goal-directed behavior in your brain and prime yourself to move towards that goal. And I can explain uh, a little bit why. And this was particularly salient for me because I realize I'm one of those people who often relies on imagining this big visualized future of what the end goal is going to be like. And then I get sidetracked as a result. So I, I heard this and thought, God damn, that's, that's something I've been doing wrong. Yeah. And it's one of those things that aligns with the whole loss aversion, right? As well, which 1, is you know, opportunity for gain versus fear of loss. And it's great to hear that there's some you know, neurological basis for that. Yeah, there, there is. And effectively what happens is uh, when you're visualizing the future state or the big picture, it can be quite effective for getting you motivated in the start uh, to direct some goal-directed behavior and to commence the process. But according to some of the research that's come out of Emily, Emily Belsetti's lab, a couple of other labs uh, in the States, it can actually be deep detrimental to keeping your motivation towards the goal. But f- visualizing failures, as I mentioned, what it does is engages the amygdala. We've talked about that part of the brain before, responsible for emotion, emotional salience, but also uh, kind of the, the seat of fear and anxiety, which kickstarts this goal-directed behavior because your brain and your body is trying to move away from that source of, of pain uh, and move towards immediate action. And simply put, in, uh, in marketing terms, which is oh. we jog to gain, but we sprint from pain, don't know if you've ever heard that one before. I love that jingle, though. You might as well, yeah, jingle yeah. rocks. I love it. I don't know if I jingle that. It's, uh, it's definitely out there in the ether in the marketing word. But the truth is that if you focus on imagining what happens if you don't achieve this goal and you visualize that future, you engage as part of your brain, the amygdala, uh, which activates these fear and anxiety circuits and actually drives you towards action more effectively than if you sit there and visualize this big future picture of success. 
And so this is really, really important because A, it was backed up by Emily Balsetti's labs and some of the others. And what they found was that they showed there is a near doubling of the chance you will reach your goal if you focus routinely on foreshadowing failure. Wow. That's, 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 that's a pretty big, that's, that's a lot. That's a big jump. Double. That's, that's a deep. And I'm wondering as well, like, again, I think for the purpose of short-term goals, this sounds like an absolute winner. Um, I'd be super, super interested long-term. And this is me not having mm. a bracket whatsoever, but in terms totally. of, you know, the five, 10 years, because it, it almost seems like you've got to smell the roses sometimes. If you're constantly just generating stuff from um, fear and, you know, fear of loss, it's interesting to see how long it might uh, look into maybe future, future research into that area. Oh, 1,000%. I think that's a really good point. I wonder how much you actually have to balance that with celebrating the wins and the milestones and the, the reward component there because that's tied into our dopamine system as it goes on. But to make it a bit bit practical, this is how I've been using it and it's been quite effective for me, is to really simply just remind yourself if you've got a goal, I'm thinking of a fitness goal for myself, what happens if you don't work towards the goal and then sit down and feel it? So I've been trying to improve my anaerobic fitness and cardio capacity, so metabolic conditioning training, lots of cardio, right? I'm, I'm super unfit. And now I wake up in the morning and I don't feel like it. And rather than sitting there and thinking about, you know, how good it's going to be to be super fit and super ripped and all these things, I tell myself and I think about if I don't do this, I'm going to end up, and I imagine this, being overweight, unfit, panting, walking upstairs, unable to enjoy things like going for hikes or going for a run or playing basketball with my friends. And you know what? I get up out of bed pretty quickly after that. Turns out pretty damn quickly. It's enough to scare me up there. And whether or not you said this is a long-term solution, it can be a really good thing to just kickstart that motivation and keep you motivated uh, along the way. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense as we spoke about. So basically to leverage it in your life, it's that visualization component, visualizing that future end state of what it might look like if you don't actually achieve said goal can be the real motivator to actually get started. And obviously getting started, maybe maintaining it across time as well. Um, but yeah, that, that link of foreshadowing failure is the thing that's in it. And that marketing jingle, my friend, we jogged a game, it's been campaign. It's in my head now and forever etched. Yeah, it's stuck, etched in there. I think the interesting thing I found about this is I've, I've read quite a few uh, entrepreneurs' biographies and a lot of them almost instinctively or intuitively have this kind of mindset. It's not, you know, I, I want to make it big and have this big you know, successful life and create a unicorn company. It's, it's usually I'll be absolutely stuffed if I fail and they just, they're focusing on not failing. So I wonder how much it's actually tied to success. I totally agree. And this uh, brings it in for Brain Bites 16. Two Brain Bites episodes this week. And we'll be back next week with our normal Brain Tools main episodes, which will be coming at your hut. We hope you love this Brain Bites episode. If you wanted to support us, the best way is to add a screenshot of it to your Insta story or to share it in a WhatsApp group with friends or share the link to someone who you think might benefit from it. We'll see you next time.